Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello and welcome to a, a brand new episode of Analyzing Everton with me, David Hughes, and of course, Josh Williams. Uh, today we'll be talking about Leicester City. We're recording the day after the game. Uh, it was a one-all draw. Interesting game, I thought. And then we'll look ahead to Newcastle. Uh Josh, we promised that we'd do a bi-weekly show and we haven't recorded for two weeks, so we're, we're actually keeping on schedule. Uh, how are you, mate? I'm good, mate. Yeah, first week of uh, first month of the year and we're on track, so see how we go for, yeah. the, for the next 11. <laughs> yeah, so it's a lot easier when the results are going well and um, for Everton, you know, they are. Uh, I think it's one league defeat now in about eight and nine matches, so... Good stuff. Uh, obviously, there was a game against Leicester yesterday, a really tough opponent. Uh, finished one all. Most fans seemed fairly happy with the points afterwards. And there's some talk on my timeline on, on social media that if some felt like Everton got away with it um, in terms of getting the point, Josh. But, you know, what were your thoughts on the game? Did, do you agree with that or do you have a different view? I think... You know, the, be, being happy with the points, it, it has to stem from largely the second half. I think Leicester's second half were, were really, really good, to be honest. I think a, a little bit of that was, I suppose, Everton taking the fuzz off the gas. And it, it was very much a game in the mould of, you know, shaped by game state. You know, some teams try to continue playing the same way once they get a lead. This was very much Everton got the goal. And second half especially... It was like they wanted the game to end immediately, um, and if you look at the um, the expected goals timeline, Dave on on understats specifically, yeah, you, you can yeah, see the, the the onslaught second half from Leicester to get back in the game, and they eventually did so. But you know, Everton managed to to keep it at one goal and and, and come away with a point. Yeah, yeah. Um, my view is a little. I don't know. I I, I didn't see it as extreme as others. Um, I think a point was a fair result, and I have to say, I thought, albeit Everton were maybe sitting a little bit deeper than than you would have liked, but I thought Leicester played really well second half. You know, that was that was Leicester the best, really. Um, I, I, even Brendan Rodgers said afterwards he was he was really impressed with the performance that he was of his team in the second half, and as he should be. Um, that being said, I think the narrative could have quite easily been, um, you know. Uh, Another sturdy defensive display had Pickford not, you know, threw that one in um, to level it up. I think I'd ever ridden out that final, that, that kind of 20 minute period where Leicester looked really, really good. Then I think the narrative from the game would have been a little bit different. Um, you know, the, the XG on the day was 0.7 Everton and then exactly one for Leicester. So, you know, that, that's, that's quite tight. Uh, shots wise, it was. Two on target for Everton, five on target for Leicester, uh, eight in total for Everton and 18 in total for Leicester. 
So Leicester definitely had, you know, more shots, mainly in that second half. But, you know, Josh, you, you mentioned understat there. Uh, if you have a look at the shots, a lot of them were restricting Leicester to outside the penalty area. You know, there wasn't any huge chances given uh, inside the penalty area. There's a, there's one by Madison late in the game, which was a, a fairly big one. But even the goal, I thought, you know, uh, Telemann's taking a shot from, you know, outside the uh, outside the penalty area, um, fairly uh, fairly tame. It's probably what you'd like to restrict them to. And as I said, if it wasn't for the mistake, uh, I think things could have been a little bit a little bit different. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, uh, you know, look, as you said that then, I was looking at the shot map already. And, um, you know, Leicester have, have accumulated a fair number of shots there, but they, they are all low-quality shots that, you know, are, are very easily savable. I think Madison's is the best with about a 12% chance of being scored. Tillemans, which is which ends up being conceded, and an expected goals of 0.02. So, it's, you know, 2% of those shots are scored, really. Um, so, yeah, I think... It, it, it could have very easily been that, as in, if Leicester didn't find that goal through a, a Pickford mistake, Everton have managed to to restrict Leicester while getting dominated territorially. You know, they did manage to restrict Leicester to away from from any clear cut chances in and around the penalty spot. I'd say, um, mm. if you look at Everton's shot map on the opposite side, it, it's it's fairly similar, but but there's just mm. there's just fewer shots, and those fewer shots probably probably stem from. Everton getting the lead first, so it was it was kind of as mm-hmm. I, I thought two similar level sides really going at it and getting the same sort of joy, but I, th- I think that the difference, I suppose, was was Everton taking the lead first and um, Everton eventually suffering from a little bit of a mistake. But yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying there in terms of the narrative could have easily been very different. Yeah, yeah, and that's the game state point is so important to make, and I think. You know, I, I just think that point is a lot of people missed that yesterday. First and foremost, I think Everton would have set up uh, tactically to to basically sit in because they've done that against really good sides this season had loads of success doing so. You know, Leicester was one of them. Uh, 2-0 victory at King Power, sitting in and kind of picking your moments when to attack. Everton were obviously without the core, without Ireland, so you've already got a bit of a... Uh, depleted midfield, uh, which was Everton's Achilles heel for a lot of the campaign last season. But, you know, you've mentioned already, Josh, the score early on, I think it was around the 30-minute mark. So there's, there's no longer any sort of uh, impetus on you to, to go out and attack and you can you can give Leicester the give Leicester the ball, let them have the territory. And, you know, I think there's a fair argument to say that Everton have done being maybe five or ten years, yards higher up the pitch, but You've got basically four centre backs on the pitch. You feel really sturdy, um, and I, I think it's it suited Everton, and it it showed that once once the equaliser did come through the mistake, that if you that timeline you were talking about, Josh, it, it feels like the goals conceded, and then within a couple of minutes, Everton then start accumulating their own chances as they obviously go and try and try and score. You know, switch focus from maybe defending the lead to going out to trying to, to win the game again. Um, so I feel like that's why I was a little bit less of uh, of this mindset that Everton were very fortunate. I think, you know, in the build-ups of the game, the tactics on the training pitch would have been focused 
focusing on defending without the ball, um, it would have been clear that that's how um, I'm going to play. I don't think you can just suddenly midway through a game change the focus of the team. Like Ancelotti can't just sit, flick a switch and say, right, let's start attacking now. I don't think it works that I don't think it works like that. You know, in, in, mid, midway through a game, I think he would have been happy winning one nil. Uh, he would have been feeling pretty comfortable defensively, and obviously, this error comes along and 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 the back in it, and and then you have to kind of switch focus then. Yeah, I know, I know what you mean, but I think from an improvements perspective, I do definitely think that in future games like this, even with the lead, Everton can just move that little bit higher up the field pose that little bit of a threat still so that Leicester can't just go, you know, all out into your into your half, knowing that they're not going to get attacked whatsoever. And, you know, I think although the game state backs it up a little bit and makes a bit of sense considering Everton were 1-0 up, I still don't really think that in any scenario you can go from the half-hour mark to the 75th minute without having a shot. You know, that that's a long period for Everton to go without having a single shot on goal, so... I do think from an improvements perspective, there's stuff to work on. Um, but I think, you know, from a strategic perspective, let's say, it's it's interesting that the timeline does seem to, to capture how Everton moved, depending on on the state of the game and and the result that was in play at the time. Yeah, yeah. Just, just, um, just a question to you, Dave. Um, hmm. What did you think of the first half hour or, or before James scored? Um, good question. So, I I felt it was kind of going as expected. Uh, I think commentary were were talking a lot as if um as if you know Leicester were really on top. And I, I think they, I do think Leicester did okay. Uh, but I, it did feel like a lot of it, in my opinion, anyway, was how I anticipated the game was going to go. I expected to Leicester to kind of you know uh, see more of the ball, um, being more advanced areas but you know after about the half hour Marco coming up to the goal I think in terms of shots it was about maybe foot well I'm just having a look now yeah it was including Rodriguez on the 30 minute mark it was 4-3 in shots so to me that kind of yeah less that more of the ball but Everton were were kind of sticking to the game plan a little bit yeah Why, what, what's your opinion? Like... no I, I think I'm Probably inclined to agree. I, th- I do remember the commentators suggesting that the um, the goal came against the run of play, and I think I think to an extent it did. If you're looking at you know possession numbers and territory and stuff like that, but I do think Everton was sticking Leicester to very little, and I think Everton mm-hmm. were posing a little threat on the break. And I think you know if you, if you look at the XG timeline again at the half the halfway mark at half time, it's probably roughly where you want it to be. Um, mm-hmm. If you ne- if you at the home side, so yeah, I just thought I'd get an insistent thing on that because um, you know the goal, the goal certainly in the commentators' mind seemed to change the way the commentators were speaking about the game a little bit. Yeah, well, I found really frustrating on commentary um, was I guess it's hard because if if someone dropped me and you into I know we look at a, a variety team, but say we got dropped into watch a a Bournemouth game or something, just someone really obscure. Yeah, I think you'd be able to, you know, kind of talk a little bit about how they play and tactics and key plays, but we obviously wouldn't have a great understanding. And I think with that in mind, it's it's quite difficult, I guess, to be a commentator and, you know, 
get a variety of fixtures each weekend and know what you're talking about. But for me, I just thought there was there was a complete lack of acknowledgement or the awareness of, of how this was going to play out tactically. Like, it, it maybe it just seemed so obvious to us because Everton, a team that we write about and cover, but for me, I knew that Everton were going to be the team who were foregoing possession. You know, they had four centre-backs on the pitch, missing two key midfielders. You know, it was all part of the plan, really. I could understand what the if if they were getting the goal was getting bombarded with shots and Leicester were creating all kinds of clear cut chances. But it feels, as I said, like the commentary team were almost surprised and Everton were, you know, uh, not dominating possession or at least competing for an equal share. Uh, but as I said, I expected that to be the case. Are you um are you are you okay with that? As in, you know, would that be in the tactical plan? Or, or would you expect a bit more if if Ancelotti had a fully fit first eleven? You know, if the Corey and Allen was playing and Seamus Coleman plays like that? Or, or is this just how you think you, you maybe have to play to play against Leicester, who are obviously doing well at the moment? Yeah, I, I think um, I, I, two ways to look at it. I think... Uh, whilst it's working, I'm fairly content in these games to to set up like that because it's it's delivered results certainly this season. Um, I think that that point is enhanced in this game in particular when you look at the the central midfield, which is such an important position, and you've got Andre Gomez, who um, who okay looks like he's. He's improving a little bit, but still yesterday, and I know you watched the game, Josh. I'd be interested to get your thoughts on him in a minute. To me, I feel like he, you know, people think I have a vendetta against him. I don't. You know, I think he's moved the ball around a little bit better over the last few weeks, but he's just too slow. I think he just takes, it's like he wants an extra touch to control and pass it out. He gets caught out and he doesn't really offer anything without it. So you've got Gomez and Davis. As you as you said, two centre midfielders, that's that's a weak midfield. I thought Davis did, did play well, by the way. So I'm not going to get on his back for the for the game. But so now it, let's look at that back that back six. Josh, you've got uh, Ben Godfrey, a centre back playing left back. You've got Michael Keane, Yanni uh, Mina, and then you've got Mason Holgate, pretty much another centre back playing right back. Then you've got in front of them Gomez and Davis. So you've you've kind of got a really Okay, strong defensively, but limited kind of uh, back line there, back spine, I guess. And uh, I think when you consider that, it then kind of makes a little bit more, a little bit more sense why you wouldn't be trying to dominate. Because if look at it from an offensive point of view, who's your offensive players? You've got four decent attackers in Luca Dean, uh, Calvert Lewin, Rodriguez, and Richarlison. But that's that. You basically got four attacking players, and that's it. That's all that can really contribute to that side of the game, in my opinion. Um, so on that basis, to answer your question, I, 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 I'm fairly content, yeah, to set up like that. If everybody was fit, would you be the same? Or um, I'd, I'd, I'd probably like to see maybe a little bit more in terms of um, in terms of trying to control a little bit more of the play, just because what I find is. If you get too reliant on playing a system like that, where you just sit back and tell, tell teams to try and break you down and then just try and pick them off as and when you can, I think you then, especially if you're Everton, who are obviously they're not, you know, a top 
three or four sides at the moment. But they're, they're considered definitely one of the better sides in the league. So if you're going to a Fulham or Sheffield United, someone like that, those teams are going to say, well, we're, we'll sit back and you will have to, you, know, you can come and try and attack us. And think if, you, if you're forever the team who's sitting in, when, you, when the emphasis is then on you to try and break teams down, I think you struggle. I think you struggle with that kind of, you know, nat- natural fluidity in your, in your pass and play and your attack and moves. And, and it's really hard to just rediscover that on a whim. I feel like you need to be doing it week in, week out to, for it to be really flowing and, and impactful, I guess. Uh, so, it, yeah, again, to answer your question, I'd probably like to see a little bit more of it, but I was more forgiven for this game under the circumstances. Would you agree or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you know my stance on the whole. Um, you're only as good as your players. Type shout. Um, and mm. I think if you look at Everton starting eleven for this game, as you mentioned there, the only players you can really attack through are probably Calvert Lewin, James, and Richarlison. Really, although Luca, Luca Dean's obviously got a, a good delivery on him. Um, but when when that's the case, it's it, it is difficult. Yeah, and I think Ancelotti's of. Of the um the approach, considering his, his roots and stuff like that, that you you know you you would ju- adjust your tactical system in accordance with the players that you've got at your disposal. Um, mm. I think that's the sensible approach. But um, I just think with with it being at home, I was just interested interested to know. And it's Leicester, okay, Leicester are going arguably going for the league at the minute, and they're doing quite well and stuff like that. Um, but they're not, you know, did. In in many people's eyes, they, they wouldn't be a massive level above Everton mm. in, to an extent. So I was just interested to get the um, you know, the, the Everton gauge on on mm. whether that's deemed to be okay or whether it's frustrating from an Everton perspective or whatever. Because um, it's it's kind of I know it's only it was only a one off game, but it's kind of takes me back to the um the Mourinho type of a, a problem whereby. Yeah. He only tends to last two or three years at clubs because of his brand of football. It's a brand of football mm-hmm. that delivers results, and the results are what keeps him there for the first two or three years. But once the results tail off, there's kind of nothing left. So I think mm-hmm. Ancelotti playing this way, specifically, I mean, we're only talking about one game here. I was just mm-hmm. interested to get your thoughts, but it's just one of them that maybe if he was to continue playing like that and the results fell off a little bit, it, it, it usually results in a bit of frustration, but yeah, as I said, I was just wanting to get the uh, the Goodison vibe on that. Well, I think what's interesting on this point is um, obviously there's no fans in the stadium. It would yeah, yeah. because the only the only sample I can have in terms of you know what others are thinking, you know, uh, this is your more generic fan as opposed to maybe people who look at it from the analytical point of view like we do. Um, whereas uh, you know uh, WhatsApps with you know like guys that I know from the on the from the football and you know my dad's mates and my mates and there's there's a big group of us in the WhatsApp and I tend to keep an eye on what they're talking about and I couldn't help but notice in the second half there was lots of uh, there was lots of frustration and you know it, it, it almost feels like they they look at the game as if uh, not all of them but just some of them look at the game as if like it's a it's a 50-50, you both start. If one team's in your half, they're the dominant team and you should be the team that's trying to dominate them type thing. And I think there's a lot more moving parts. And I do think that's the kind of generic football fan opinion at times. And 
on that basis, you know, 40,000 people in the stadium seeing Everton have been sitting back for five or ten minutes, less they having all the ball, you know, the nerves start kicking in, start getting frustrated, thinking the worst, and that filters onto the pitch, and then the players maybe start uh, thinking that they need to, I don't know, overcommit, push a little bit more further forward than, than they should be, you know, maybe breaking the shape that's that's serving them well in the game. And just these little minute details that I think can happen when you feel like the crowd's turning a little bit. So on your point there, it would be interesting to see whether there'd be that same sort of defensive composure um, if, if, if there was fans in the stadium. Yeah, yeah, that's take your point, yeah. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Let's move on to, very quickly, Pickford. <laughs> um, <laughs> because you said something really interesting yesterday and something I thought myself. Uh, you'd said that you'd noticed just from the outside looking in that Pickford's or Pickford-related news had been very quiet over the past uh, month or so. Uh, and you hadn't really heard much about him, which... I assume you meant was a was a good thing, Josh, uh, but that might have changed from yesterday. Yeah, I uh, I was watching the game and he was about to take a goal kick, and it just crossed my mind. You know what? I haven't actually seen him in the news much lately, and for me, at least, that for a goalkeeper, for me, that's a positive, especially considering what he's been like in the past, what he's got a tendency of doing. And that sort of thing, you know, he's he, he kind of inclined to play centre stage at times, isn't he? So if he he, he was mm-hmm. beginning, I thought to just under the radar, but you know, in in typical Pickford fashion, let's say, <laughs> you know, about an, about an hour later, he he drops a clanger, and um, to be honest, mate, it 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 reminds me a little bit, obviously as a Liverpool fan, of of Simon Mignolet. And the reason it reminds me of that is because we, I feel like Liverpool gave him so many chances over the years, and it looked like he'd turned so many corners. We got in different competition at different times. You know, at one point he was competing with carriers and stuff. And I think what at one time he got dropped out the team for carriers, then he come back in, and when he came back in, he looked like a new man. He looked transformed. He was catching more crosses and all that sort of stuff. And then before you know it. He'll he'll drop a clang and it's it, it'll cost you two points or it'll cost you a defeat sometimes, um, and usually you'll you'll just find that players like this, no matter how often you think they've turned the corner, they just have this in them. It's just part of the nature and it's it's unavoidable to an extent, and it's it's not a nice thing. You know, we, we obviously don't want it, but it's one of them that. Most clubs will get to a point eventually whereby they kind of think, you know, this isn't going away. We need to somehow move past this, and whether that's by buying an upgrade or or what, because it's a difficult thing. That's it's a difficult thing to to train out of a player. It's just kind of like a, I'm not sure, maybe a mental thing or something. But it mm. it, it costs you more points than you deserve to be cost. I've I've found a lot of the time when it comes to Manila, at least, you know, Liverpool would perform really, really well for 90 minutes, wouldn't get the results, and we wouldn't get the results because the man between the sticks, it just, you know, made a mistake at, you know, 
that that wasn't enforced really. So yeah, it's a tricky one. You know, we don't like Slayton, do we? But it's one of them that it's it's just a frustrating position for a player to be error prone. Yeah, yeah. I think I thought you summarised that really well. I think Minilay is a really good example, and that's it. You should. I, I think. Look, as a keeper, mistakes will happen, and they always look costly because of where you play on the pitch. But you shouldn't have to. It shouldn't be so easy to remember mistakes. Uh, and with Pickford, it is. It just feels like there's been a catalogue of them in, in a really relatively short space of time. You know, within like. It's, what two years probably? Um, I'd say, I'd say there's close to somewhere between eight to ten you know, over the last you know two and a bit years or whatever. Uh, and because I mean, don't forget, it's it's not like people naturally don't like this person or don't like this player and want to find holes in his game. You know, he come in, he was, he, he, you know, he was signed for big money. Uh, everyone was really excited to have like an up and coming keeper. Even when he made a, a high-profile mistake in the derby, I think a lot of people were like, you know, the, the, that was just a bizarre situation. Um, but it's just, it hasn't stopped really. Uh, and these runs come along where you think, as we, we were just saying there, you know, he's improving, um, he's turned the corner and then and then, the, and then something like this happens. It's happened all too often. And just, just on Pickford, I want to address something really quickly because... Um, some people have been kind of defending him, saying, you know, he, he, yeah, he made a mistake, but it, it, it's funny how he, he gets kind of criticised, but the strikers at the other end who didn't convert the chances, uh, uh, A.K. Richarlison at the head at 86th minute, Calvert-Lewin had a decent one, didn't he, I think around the 88th. But just to put this in, in context, uh, context, sorry, um, although we don't focus too much on kind of XG pair shot numbers. Tellyman's shot at a XG of uh, 0.02. That means roughly it, it should have had around a 2% chance of leading to a goal based on, you know, historical shot data. Um, at the other end of the pitch, Calvert-Lewin's chance had a 6% chance of leading to a goal. Uh, and Richarlison's had a at a 12% chance. So people, people have been talking about those chances as if they were absolute sitters. But the reality is they're not, are they, Josh? Like, the, you know, there's a re- these chances aren't converted at the rate that people realise. Like, they think it's 50-50 or, you know, it should be buried. It doesn't work like that. It's it's not that easy. And there's a reason why people use expected metrics because it's, it's based on historical shot data. Um, so they weren't sitters for Calvert-Lewin or Richarlison. Um, and that that one that he's conceded, Pickford, a two percent chance of leading to a goal. I mean, that should be you should be wanting to concede those shots because it'll end the attack, and it it should be a, a routine save and, and possession back in your hands, shouldn't it? Yeah, it's another from uh, from outside the box as well. I think that might be that might be number twenty nine for Everton in the Premier League, twenty nine or thirty. Um, and I think I just think Jim. I mean, those who are pointing out the the strikers missing chances, I'm I'm not totally against that because um, I think generally on the on this podcast we're we're a bit more performance focused than results. So we look at at seeing us performing well, but I think generally, regardless of how well your team performs, 
it's the it's the players at the, the business ends of the pitch that will deliver the actual points usually. So it's it's yeah. your strikers at, at one end and it's your goalkeeper at the other end. Your strikers are usually valued in the market alongside that. You know, the strikers usually go for the big money. Goalkeepers, for whatever reason, tend to be really undervalued um, and less importance is placed on their shoulders when, for me, they're, they're, they're incredibly important figures when it comes to actually accumulating points and, and getting wins as opposed to maybe drawing the odd game, which is, you know, a two-point difference there. Um, mm. But if you look at a team like Brighton, for example, in Premier League, perfect example, according to all the performance numbers, most of them at least, Brighton are a really well-coached, well-performing team. Um, but they don't get points on the board. They don't get wins. Because at one end, they haven't got the player to put the ball in the back of the net. And at the other end, they haven't had the player to keep the ball out the net. Um, you know, to, to, an, to an average level, let alone overperforming. If you just look at the um, the goals that Pickford has conceded this season, according to, you know, post-shot expected goals, he's conceded so far about 2.6 goals more than the average keeper would have between the sticks. Uh, only two keepers have had a worse season so far by those numbers, and that is Matt, Matt Ryan, funnily enough, Brighton, who's now at Arsenal <laughs> for some reason. And... <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Rui Patricio for Wolves you know Wolves yeah. seems to be having a far worse season than, than years gone by shock it's coincided with the goalkeeper having a bad day or a bad few yeah. months um, but I just I think more more weight should be put on the importance of having a goalkeeper who's at least average you know you've, you've got three different types of goalkeeper for me you've got you've got the, the bad ones who will have a negative impact on your points. You've got the okay ones who won't really affect your points on the positive or negative side. And you've got the good ones who will deliver more points than they should, really. And I think yeah. for me for a period of time now, Pickford's in the, the bad department. Yeah, because by the way, that you know, that that underperformance that you're talking about there, um we're we're not just basing that on what, 18, 19 games, whatever it is this season. It was just as bad last season, wasn't it? And I haven't got the numbers off the top of me, but it was, I think it was just as bad as the season before as well. Uh, it hasn't been good for a prolonged period now. So, you know, it, it, people kind of think you just, it's a witch hunt type thing. It, it isn't. It's just, it's, it's it, the analysis is there. The numbers are there. Um, yeah, he, he does make some good saves, important saves. No one doubts that, but if you're gonna keep undoing it with with errors like like he does, then you know we're, we're, you're not gonna get very far. Um, and that's yeah, what I just, think. Just on that last season, he underperformed by four point three goals, which was the third worst ahead of only Kepper and Angus Gunn at Southampton. And the year before, just give me a second. He, hang on a minute, where is he? <laughs> Oh, we actually overperformed the year before. Oh, okay. By, by about four goals, which is funny. Um, but I, I think what I'm getting at is just, you know, he, he's the type of keeper that after so long, I I would personally consider upgrading him when you can. The only reason for me that he hasn't been upgraded so far is because um, there's been more pressing needs in the squad. But mm. 
just on the off chance, Dave, what would what would you do for the next game? What what would you would you do? Uh, yeah, I would actually. Um, you know, you can talk about the players' confidence, but Olsen has 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 proved himself to be, you know, a, a solid goalkeeper. He's he's got a fairly. I, I don't know. I don't know how great his numbers were before he's arrived, but um, I'm just judging on what I've seen so far. But I've seen it a solid keeper who comes in and doesn't know how to place. Um, bring him in. There's no huge drop-off. If anything, there might be an improvement. And it it might be okay without fans, but there's quite an emotional fixture coming up against Newcastle. Uh, and Pickford doesn't do well in emotional fixtures. So I think it's the perfect opportunity to... In fact, Olsen didn't play. I mean, Olsen played in the last game against Newcastle. Um, so I wonder if that's going to be a sign of, of what might come. Um, we, we don't know. We'll have to see. Uh, which Josh was talking about Newcastle. Should we? Should we move on to them? I wanted to briefly talk about Hamas uh, Rodriguez, but I don't think we'll have time. And I mean, all I was going to do was just say how great he is. <laughs> uh, didn't really have much in the way of analysis to add. Um, but I don't know if you have a quick one last summary of of what you think of him, Josh. Yes, I suppose he's he, he's very much in the typical or the the historical luxury player kind of mould, I think, in terms of he is he is carried on the defensive side and you don't usually see many players like that anymore, really. He's kind of like yeah, your historical number 10 who only comes alive when you've got the ball. But um, the reason those number 10s still got minutes and the reason Hammers gets minutes is because of what he does when the ball's at his feet. You know, he does make a difference. I think, I think his passing is his passing's ridiculous. And obviously... Against um against Leicester, he, he scored you know a world in, in off the post, so which very nearly was the winning goal. So um he's just that type of player. He's he's kind of the uh, the difference maker, the player who the player who will, will will do things. All all of his actions just have much more of an influence on winning winning than than the typical player. Yeah, I mean, what, what I will, what I will say is I'll 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 defend him a little bit, and I think he does he does have ambitions to to assist without the ball. You know, I think he makes the I'll tackle. He tries to get into shape. I, I just think the way his profile is, he's just he's just not that great on the defensive side of things. So I don't think it's a another way. Sometimes you can kind of pigeonhole a luxury player, someone who knows they're so good with it that they don't have to put any of that work in without it. I think he does have that ambition to to kind of contribute in that respect, but it's just not as, as strong as point really. He's just not that not that great at doing that side of the game. But you know, equally, that's not what he's there for. Um, I think I think the, I think the I, most important thing with with a player like that is 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 he worthy? You know, is he worth the extra legs getting put in for him by other players? And if the answer is yet, then there's absolutely no problem with him being on a pitch. Like, like, I think, you know, Lionel Messi fits this bill. Without the ball, Lionel Messi walks. But because he's so good with the ball, makes such a difference to getting three points or not. He, he plays every week, regardless of the manager. Yeah. And uh, as long as Hammers ticks that box, you know, is he worth Is he worth it? He, he will continue playing and he will continue impacting Everton's ability to get wins. Mm. One, uh, one quick thing I thought was quite interesting with Hammers is uh, 
He's yet to all his goal contributions, and this is direct goal contributions, by the way. So just your basic goals and assists. But they've all come at home this season, not away yet, which uh, I was quite surprised by. Uh, I don't know whether that'll change in the next couple of weeks. I'm sure it will, because I don't think there's too much to read into that. But I uh, just thought it was interesting to share anyway. Um, Josh, if you could pick any team in the Premier League to play at home at the moment. Would Newcastle be your choice? I think they probably would. They'd, they'd certainly be right <laughs> up there. They are, a, from from an analytical perspective, which is obviously you know my job, your job. They are a painful team to watch. Honestly, <laughs> because you, you're looking for patterns, you're looking for intentions, deliberate ploys, um, little tactical, you know, things like that, interesting stuff to to elaborate on. There's just none of it with Newcastle, and it, it, it feels like he hasn't been for quite a while now. Yeah, yeah, that's it. The uh, it was a mystery that he stayed up really last season because uh, most expected points metrics had them rock bottom. Uh, but I think we talked about this maybe on the analysing Anfield podcast, Josh, and we said uh, they scored. I think off the top of my head, it was 14 set pieces last season, uh, which is quite high. Only three teams scored more. Uh, and I think that's was probably a difference maker for them. You look quite comfortable, but you know, re- reality was they didn't look that great. Um, and this season, they, they they're, they're really bad. You know, the the team who are very passive, so they rank really low in terms of things like PPDA, challenge intensity. They rank right down there. Um, similar to say like a Wolves on that basis, but the difference is Wolves have like this a tactical ploy that. Obviously, to soak up pressure, and then they have players who can you can hit you on the counter, hit in transitions. <laughs> Newcastle's attacking numbers tell you that they don't. Uh, in terms of goals, 0.9 average, uh, that's ranks 19th. Uh, shots, 8.9 per 90, that ranks 18th. Shots on target, they rank 18th. On penalty XG, 19th. Passes made within 20 yards of the opposition's goal. They only average 3.55 per game, uh, and that ranks as the worst in the league. Now, attacking-wise, Josh, there's about as, as bad as they come, don't they, really? Yeah, I think a lot of what they've done since Steve Bruce took charge, I don't think you can overestimate the um, the impact of, of working under Benitez for a few years, because I think you know he, he, Steve Bruce largely kept the same system. And I think that system had kind of been, you know, drilled day after day by one of the best tactical coaches around. You know, I think back to when Roberto Martinez took over at Everton after David Moyes. Martinez started, you know, bringing in the maybe a few attacking ideas and stuff like that. But I think Everton certainly benefited from the the defensive coaching that Moyes had, had kind of instilled over years. And I think Newcastle maybe benefited from a bit of that last season while also adding a few completely random, unpredictable players in the mould of specifically St. Maxima, um, you know, which who Benitez didn't really have. This year they've had Callum Wilson Wilson again, Benitez didn't have a player like him. So it, it seems to be I don't want to sleep sleep Bruce too much because he seems like a nice man. But um it seems to kind of be a case of defensively, a lot of what they've done has been resting on everything that Benitez established 
And going forward, a lot of it has kind of just been off the cuff things um, done by creative and, and unpredictable fast players who 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 can run with the ball and uh, alongside set pieces. That, that that kind of sums Newcastle up for me, really. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And the thing is, it, 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 it's it's in terms of that defensive side of things, it, it it's it's you know maybe maybe in that first year Benitez's lingering you know tactics kind of kept them. I I don't I don't want to say sturdy because I don't think they were that great defensively, but they were good enough if that makes sense. But it feels like now they're a team who sit in and they've still got really rubbish uh, defensive numbers. I think they rank around nineteenth or no seventeenth, sorry, in terms of non penalty xG against. And I mean, even not even just looking at the underlying metrics, even looking at goals conceded, uh, they've conceded two or more in. One, two, three, four, five of the previous six matches. So the team kind of seem to prioritise not conceding at the expense of attack, but then still conceding, still really bad uh, defensive numbers. So they're just a, a really mishmash poor team, aren't they? That don't really seem to do anything good. <laughs> yeah, I, w- I will say though that um, I watched their most recent match against Leeds. And I'm not Leeds won, I think, in the end. I think they scraped two one. But for whatever reason, Leeds weren't the usual selves, I don't think. I don't know if it was a Leeds thing or if it was a Newcastle thing specifically, but Leeds only managed about nine shots, I think. Which is about half well not half, but around around that half their usual amount. Um Almaron scored a decent little goal and so I'm not sure if 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 they're gonna be as bad as many are expecting, I think there's there's probably worse teams in the league. Um, when when it comes to having a, a certain floor, like I think I think the floor of West Brom is is worse than the floor of Newcastle, to be honest. Um, mm. and Newcastle have hit that floor a few times, but against Leeds, it didn't seem like they did. So whether Everton will get the absolute worst version of of Newcastle, I'm I'm not entirely sure. Purely based on the last time I watched them a few days ago. Um, but even Newcastle's best is is still very, very. You know, it's it's still like a five out of ten. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think there's a there's all that, and they just it feels like they've just lost any sort of alignment. Like the it, you get the sense that the players aren't too happy. Uh, Steve Bruce definitely isn't happy. Um, you know, he's. I think somewhere else he gets sacked, but they're just a little bit of a mess, aren't they? It just. I mean, I'm not tempting face. I'm not because don't forget Newcastle actually beat Everton early this season, which is outrageous. But it happened. The thing is, the thing is, with, with a team like this, we did this with Analyzing Anfield a few weeks ago. You, you have to preview how bad they are, which and that's that's pretty bad. But despite that, they have kind of the makeup to still get some sort of result, and that makes me and me and you look a bit daft. But um, it it it's just. What they do, they just—it's weird. Like against Liverpool, you know, we came away with a, a one-all draw, which after previewing them days earlier as one of the worst teams in the league in Europe, mm. we're doing the yeah. same now, and it should be a case of Everton being a better team, getting results. But New- Newcastle will always have that kind of underlying weirdness to to kind of do enough to get a point or or, or whatever. Yeah, 
yeah, you're you're right. The predictions haven't been that great for us recently. After yeah, I said that mainly as a caveat, to be honest. Yeah, it's that's it. Yeah, it's it's one of them. You know, it's you're not setting up for the fall. You can only judge it as as we can now based on the numbers. But it's football and. You know, there could be a red card in the open two minutes, could be a penalty, you just don't know. But um in terms of in terms of maybe a prediction on how this would go, Josh, uh, if you if you if you, if I put a gun to your head type thing and said, you know, what what would you be ex- expecting score line if things went as as you'd expect, what would you say? Is the any differences to, to Everton's team? Anyone back available or not too sure to be honest. The time recording, I don't, I haven't heard anything. Um, I think it's going to be a little bit too early for. Oh, Decore will be back actually. Decore was only missing as a result of a suspension. Um, oh, okay. So he'll be back, which is a a, a big one. I'm going to say two nil Everton on this one. I'm also going to go two nil. Um, I don't know if it's a. Uh, if it's just the easiest scoreline to predict, I'd love to know how many times I've predicted that scoreline over the years, but uh, it just feels like it should be a fairly comfortable afternoon. Um, but we'll wait and see. Josh, thank you very much for your company on the podcast. Yeah, no worries, mate. And uh, thanks everyone for listening in. Thanks for the feedback as always, and uh, we'll be back hopefully in, in two weeks' time. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.